Is it true that science and the Bible are not compatible? Does the Bible say anything about science? And is it accurate? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Talk. This is a series that tackles uh, issues that uh, some Christians might be, uh, well, confused about or just not sure about, you know, different kinds of issues. It might be cultural issues or theological issues, but uh, uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening. And uh, today, I have entitled this, I Believe in Science. Uh, you know, sometimes when you witness to someone, you might get this response, I don't believe the Bible, I believe in science. Now, when someone says this, they show that they have probably never read the Bible. They assume that the only thing in the Bible is a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. The truth is, the Bible contains theology, history, poetry, prophecy, and yes, even science. Scientific discovery has come a long way in the last 500 years, and yet the Bible was written way before these discoveries. That's what we're going to find out today. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. There's a lot of science in the Bible. And and it's not just science in the Bible. It's accurate science. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. You know, there there's there's something the Bible calls science, uh, science so-called, you know. Uh, science so-called. It's so-called science. Well, we've got some of that in our world today, don't we? So today I would like to look at a few scientists and see what they said about the Bible. And then I want to show you what the Bible has to say about science. All right, so first, what scientists have said about the Bible. Now, before we get into these guys, let me just say that it would be a good idea to point out to somebody who says to you, I believe in science, to point out to them, oh, what did you know about this scientist? This scientist was a Christian. This scientist believed the Bible. This scientist believed in God. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would be shocked to know that because for some reason, people just think that scientists are opposed to the Bible. And you know, there's still a lot of Christian scientists in the world today, but um, back in the day, some of the some of the most renowned scientists in history were Christians. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, so let's talk about that first. The first one I want to bring up is Francis Bacon. Now, Francis Bacon, uh, he lived 1561 to 1626. He developed a method of research that earned him the title father of the scientific method. Now, the scientific method is defined as a method of procedure consisting in systematic observation, measurement, and experiment, and the formulation, testing, and modification of hypotheses. So something should not be classified as science unless it can be observed and tested. You know, I think that's very important today. People talk about science. Well, we we live in a world today where Things that are classified as science should not be classified as science. It's kind of like just made-up stuff. I'm going to mention that at the end, all right? So stay tuned for that. But if something is scientific, you know, we have the scientific method. It should be able to be observed and tested and therefore proven, yes, this is scientific, all right? Now, Bacon was a devout reader of the Bible. He even wrote his own commentary on the entire Bible. Here's what he believed, and I quote, I believe that nothing is without beginning but God. No nature, no matter, no spirit, but one, only, and the same God. 
that God, as he is eternally almighty, only wise, only good in his nature, so he is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit in person. My goodness, sounds like a theologian, doesn't it? Well, sure, he, he wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. You know, we could say that he was a theologian. That's amazing. You know, Bacon was knighted by King James in 1603. Yes, that's right, the same King James who who uh, was involved in the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. In fact, when the translation was finished, King James passed it on to Bacon for final edits. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty amazing. So there we have our first scientist, Francis Bacon. He sure loved the Bible, and he he uh, he was a Christian. Next, we have Johannes Kepler. Now, Kepler, he lived from 1571 to 1630. He was a German astronomer, mathematician, astrologer, natural philosopher, and writer on music. He is known for his laws of planetary motion. This thinking man also thought about God. Notice what he said, and I quote, Science is the process of thinking God's thoughts after him. Wow, what an amazing statement that is. He, he connects science to the very thoughts of God himself. Think about that. Now, if that were not enough, he also said this, and I quote, Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God. Wow, can you believe that? So Kepler, here's Kepler recognizing, you know, there, there's a beauty in nature, there's a glory in nature, but uh, we look at nature and it should cause us to glorify God. We should praise God because he is the one that made it all. That's, that's amazing. Let's move on to another scientist, and that is, I bet you've heard of this one, Sir Isaac Newton. Newton lived from 1642 to 1727. He was a distinguished English mathematician, physicist, astronomer, chemist, and theologian. He's considered to be the greatest and most influential scientist who ever lived. Wow. Newton is known for his three laws of motion, as well as the law of gravity. Remember the story? He's sitting under a tree, and apple falls, and I can't remember if the apple falls in his head or if he just sees it fall, but he realized, ah, gravity, the law of gravity. His book, Principia, written in 1687, is perhaps the most important scientific book ever written. Well, Newton was also devoted to the Bible. When it came to faith and science, he saw the two as inseparable. He said this, and I quote, Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be done. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So when someone says to you, oh, I believe in science, first of all, you could say, I believe in science too. Hey. And then you can say to them, hey, do you know Sir Isaac Newton? And they probably say, hmm, sounds familiar. I mean, you know, people today, pe people just don't know history like uh, they should. And so they might say, who's that? Well, you, you can tell them, well, he's the greatest scientist who ever lived. <laughs> the greatest one who ever lived. Uh huh. Wrote the greatest book for science ever. And he was a devout Christian. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> it's just interesting how science and the Bible 
Uh, yes, they are compatible. I I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't help it. Let's move on to Louis Pasteur. I'm sure you've heard of Louis Pasteur. He lived from 1822 to 1895, and he was a French chemist and microbiologist known for discovering the principles of vaccination, microbial fermentation, and pasteurization, which, by the way, was named after him. Uh, he, it's funny. He just he just named it. Oh, I'll just name it after myself. Pasteurization. And, uh, and that's something I, I think we tend to forget about. Here's what he said, and I quote, The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the Creator. Wow. So he recognized that there was a Creator. He recognized that God existed. He said, yeah, when I look at nature, I, I see it's the handiwork of God. Is that not what the Bible says? That the, the firmament showeth his handiwork? Absolutely. And so Pasteur recognize that. Next, we have Gregor Mendel. Now, Mendel, he lived from 1822 to 1884. He's called the father of genetics. He actually became a priest of a monastery in Austria. In a sermon given on Easter, he said this, and I quote, man must contribute his minimum work of toil, and God gives the growth. Truly, the seed, the talent, the grace of God is there, and man has simply to work. Take the seeds to bring them to the bankers so that we may have life and abundantly. So that's pretty amazing, because here's someone, he was a scientist, and he was also a priest. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he, was a, he was a preacher. Um, he, he was, again, he was a theologian. Mendel was also a contemporary with Charles Darwin. Oh, we know Darwin, uh-huh. Now, it's funny, because, maybe not funny, I shouldn't say that, but uh, it's interesting that Darwin was also a theologian. He even went to seminary. And here he is the father of evolution. Can you believe that? I want you to notice what Mendel said concerning Darwin. Here's what he said, and I quote, Of the experiments of previous years, those dealing with Mathiola, Anua, and uh, uh, Glabra, Zia, and Mirabilis were concluded last year. Their hybrids behave exactly like those of Pisum. Darwin's statements concerning hybrids of the genera mentioned in the variation of animals and plants under domestication, based on reports of others, need to be corrected in many respects. Okay, I just find that interesting because here's Mendel saying, hey, uh, what Darwin reported here, it, it, it's wrong. It needs to be corrected. And you know, I, I'm sure that Mendel also disagreed with Darwin concerning evolution. Now, keep in mind that evolution was a brand new thing back then. And so instead of people being like, oh, that's wrong. God created everything on six days. You know, people were like, oh, oh maybe, maybe. Hey, because it sounded, it sounded smart. And it sounded real sciencey, if that makes any sense. Um, and it's unfortunate because that's when everything started to go downhill in the 1800s because of Darwin and evolution. All right, I've got one more scientist, though. One more scientist. That's George Washington Carver. Man, I love this guy. He, was, uh, he lived 1864 to 1943, and he was an American agricultural scientist and inventor who promoted alternative crops to cotton and methods to prevent soil depletion. Hey, he also created peanut butter. So if you like peanut butter, you can thank George Washington Carver. When asked about why he was so successful, he replied, and I quote, It is simple. It is found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? When asked about his success, he just said, I owe my success to God's word. Wow. 
Carver was a devout believer in God and the Bible. He said, and I quote, it is impossible to reason without arriving at a supreme being. That's right. He especially loved being in nature. He said, and I quote, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station to which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Wow. <clears throat> it's pretty remarkable. You know, we have just looked at six scientists who believed in God and the Bible. And there are many more. I mean, we'd be here all day if I talked about every scientist that I could find. So people who say, I believe in science, I believe in science, <clears throat> trying to act all sophisticated, they say that as an excuse for not believing the Bible. You know, they need to understand that there have been many experts or scientists or geniuses who have believed both science and the Bible. All right. So that's the first thing you can say when somebody says, I believe in science. You can say to them, oh, and so do I. Hey, by the way, have you heard of Isaac Newton? Have you heard of Kepler? Have you heard of Mendel? How about George Washington Carver? Do you just point out these men and say, you know what? They were Christians. And they believed the Bible. They were scientists. They believed the Bible. They didn't think there was any competition here. They, they didn't think that uh, science and the Bible were not compatible. No, not one bit. So that's uh, something you can mention. I think that that... That's really helped. And, you know, maybe they'll point to modern scientists today. But modern scientists today, uh, hmm, they're evolutionists and atheists. Anyways, uh, let's move on to the second part here for today's discussion, what the Bible says about science. So if the Bible and science are compatible, you know, if they're not at each other's throats against each other, <coughs> then what does the Bible have to say about science. Well, I'm glad you asked because today we're going to look at eight scientific facts that the Bible got right before science at large recognized them. That's right. The Bible said it first. And then modern science came along and recognized it. But guess what? The Bible had already said it centuries before. Centuries before. So get ready to be amazed. The first one, let's talk about the stars. Science. Now, what I'm going to do here is have science then and science now, and then what the and and then what the Bible says. All right. So science then said that there are 1,022 stars. Now that is laughable, isn't it? That's it. Roughly 1,000 stars. That's it. Now that's a, according to Hippocrates. Hey, he was a smart guy, right? Hippocrates. Yeah. Apparently he counted, and he counted 1,022 stars. Okay, that was back then. That was a long time ago. Science now. There are 10,000 million, million, million stars. And that's just how many we can see. Okay, that's a lot of stars. That's a lot of stars. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the number of stars is innumerable. Jeremiah 33 verse 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. So will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. Okay, so there it is, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. So what God says is, you know, and God made every single star. God says you cannot number the stars. You cannot. And so again, we have this number, 10,000 million, million, million. That's a lot. That's apparently what we can see. But there are many more stars because, keep in mind, we're just one galaxy, we can only see so far. 
right? Our modern technology can only help us to see so far out there. The universe is humongous, far bigger than we can imagine. And so if, if we could see all the stars, we wouldn't be able to count them. They are innumerable. Second, the Earth. Science then said the Earth was upheld by elephants or the Greek god Atlas. Now, I understand that we're going way back in time now. We're going way back in time to ancient times. They believe that the earth was upheld by elephants. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous. And supposedly, the elephants were standing on top of a giant turtle. Don't even ask me what the turtle was standing on. Okay, and of course, the Greeks believed that the Greek god Atlas was holding up the earth. Science now says that the earth is surrounded by empty space and orbits the sun. The Bible says this, that God hangs the earth on nothing. Job 26 verse 7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, isn't that amazing? Just think about how great our God is, that he can take the earth and just put it there in space. It's not sitting, not, nothing is holding it up. It's sitting there on nothing. It's suspended in space. And of course, so so is the moon, so is the sun, so are all the other planets in our in our uh, solar system. The stars, they're just suspended in space because God is so powerful that he's able to do that. And so once again, the Bible got it right before science recognized it. Number three, springs in the oceans. Science back then said water flowed into the oceans through rainfalls and rivers exclusively. Science now there are springs that flow water into oceans along with rainfalls and rivers. Okay, so it's very interesting. Um, there are springs, once again, springs. Um, now, now, it's very interesting. Here's what the Bible says. Springs, there are springs in the sea. Job thirty-eight sixteen says, Hast thou not entered into the springs of the sea? Or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? So there are springs in the sea. The ocean. There are underwater springs. That's what we're saying. All right? And there was a time when we just didn't know that. But the Bible says there were. The Bible that says there's springs in the sea. So once again, the Bible was right all along. Number four, running water. Science back then uh, did not understand the importance of running water. Uh, remember that phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bath water? Do you know why that phrase came along? Is is the Dark Ages. You'd have a family, and they would take a bath once a week. And so they would make a big, you know, they would pour some water into his big basin, and the father would get in first, and he would wash up. And I imagine that water was really dirty when he got out, and then the wife would get in. She'd wash up, and then the water would be really dirty, and then the kids would get in, okay? So Johnny, Sally... And last of all was the baby, all right? And so by the time the baby got in the water, uh, the water was black and nasty and gross, and therefore, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, it's just disgusting. And, um, and you know, maybe you like to take a bath. That's fine. But um, it's probably not a good idea to have a whole bunch of people taking a, using the same bathwater time after time. That's really gross. That's really gross. Now, so back then... They did not know about the importance of washing and running water, okay? 
Science now says be sure to wash with running water. Why? Because stagnant water is prone to diseases. That's what happens with stagnant water. Uh, diseases can form, all right? And so you have to wash in running water. That's why we have sinks where you have running water. You wash your hands with running water. What does the Bible say? The Bible says bathe in running water. Isn't that interesting? Leviticus 15 verse 13 says, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. This is amazing. Because this is the book of Leviticus. This was during the days of Moses. This was when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. That is a long time ago. And God said to them, hey, be sure you bathe in running water. Because God knew. God knew. And, and... You know, modern science didn't, even during the Dark Ages, you know, that's what, the 12, 1300s? People didn't know that. And so that that's something we, we've learned, I say we, modern science has learned in just the last few hundred years. But the Bible had it right way before that. Okay, number five, sanitation. Science then did not understand the need for sanitation. Now we think about it like, what? <laughs> uh, science now. Sanitation is critical to minimizing the spread of disease. And what does the Bible have to say? Quarantining. The Bible talks about quarantining and burying waste. Okay, so first Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46 says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare. And he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. So that is quarantining. Okay, so when somebody has a disease, specifically a contagious disease, what should he do? Well, he should he should get away from everybody and live alone. And that's what God talks about here. And we know that that's exactly what needs to happen. And then Deuteronomy 23, verses 12 to 14. Now, you might have not even known this was in the Bible. Listen to this. Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad. And thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be, when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. It's talking about poop. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee, and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee, and turn away from thee. Now, that's just kind of funny. This is the Bible. This is the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. And it's talking about, God is saying, uh, talking about human waste. All right? What were they to do? They were to bury it. They were to find a spot that is, um, you know, Without the camp. Okay, so this is outside the camp, not inside the camp. Outside. They had to go outside the camp and then poop and then bury their poop. Okay? And um, and again, bury it. All right? Um, that, that's, ve that's very important. And, and again, this is in Deuteronomy. This was forever ago. So, so uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Once again, the Bible was right all along. I, I bet you didn't know the Bible talked about pooping, did you? Okay, it's pretty amazing. Let's move on to number six, circumcision. Science back then said the safest time of circumcision was, well, it was unknown. They didn't know. Science now, the eighth day is when you should circumcise a child. And the Bible says, yep, 
eight days old, Genesis 17:12, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or brought uh, bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. Okay, so I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna talk about circumcision and what that is because you can look it up, all right? But it was a very important thing for the nation of Israel. It was a sign that they were God's covenant people. And um, it, it's, it's very interesting. That's that's what circumcision was back then. It was, a, it was a covenant sign. But today, circumcision is just a regular medical procedure that is done to a child, a male child, when he's born. And so um, it's best to do it on the eighth day. That is actually the best time to circumcise a boy. Um now, I, I, I'm not sure if doctors actually do that on the eighth day. I think they just might do it right after the baby's born, and it's very messy. It'd be much better on the eighth day because that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. So it's very interesting. Um, number seven, the earth's shape. Science then said that the earth was flat. <laughs> Believe it or not, yes, flat. Remember uh, Christopher Columbus. He was uh, sailing, and he wanted to sail around the world. And they said, hey, Chris... You're going to fall off the earth, dude. You're going to fall off the earth because they believe the earth was flat. It, it, we just we find that so funny now, but they didn't know. They just they had no way of knowing. Science now says, of course, that the earth is a sphere, and the Bible says the circle of the earth. Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. There it is. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. All right, so there it is, the Bible, and this is the book of Isaiah. Okay, they had no way of knowing back then. They had no way of knowing that the earth was a sphere, a circle. But God knew because God made it. And so God had it put in his word. And uh, boy, if those guys had just read the Bible back then, you know, during Christopher Columbus's days, they did, read the Bible, they would have seen, oh, the earth is a circle. It's round, Okay. Uh, but they thought the earth was flat. It, it's funny that there are still people in the world today who believe that the earth is flat. Can you believe that? They think the earth is flat. And and I, I guess all the pictures of the earth from space, I guess they think those are all made up or something. I, I don't know, but it's what a world we live in. All right. It's also interesting that that verse says, He stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. Did you know that that is exactly the way that um, space appears to be that modern science today says that it is almost like someone has has taken space out there and they've stretched it out and the stars are all scattered it's as if he he stretched out space and the scars the stars were just stretched out with it's pretty amazing that's how modern science describes it and that's what the bible says he stretched it out all right let's move on to number eight and this is the last one blood and life Science then did not understand the importance of blood. Now this is this is pretty this is pretty crazy if you think about it. But they did not know how important the blood was. If you remember, George Washington was actually bled to death because he was sick, and and the the doctors back then said, "Oh, we got to get the bad blood out of him." So they they started bleeding him. In fact, they would use leeches to bleed people back then. Can you believe that? So they would put these leeches on you. The leeches would suck out your blood. And hopefully, hopefully, they would get the bad blood out of you. Not realizing that uh, they're actually going to kill you. Yeah, that, that's actually good. And that's what happened with George Washington. They ended up bleeding him to death. It's, it's really sad. But science now 
We know that blood is the life of the individual. Well, guess what? That's what the Bible says. It says the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So the Bible could not be any clearer. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And we know that you have to have that blood. And, and, and the blood has to be flowing. So your heart is pumping. Boop, 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 boop. Your heart is pumping. And what is that, that doing? It's pumping the blood throughout your uh, system, the circulatory system. So that the blood is getting to all parts of your body. And, you know, if, if blood is not reaching all parts of your body, there's going to be problems, right? So the blood's got to be circulating all throughout the body. But if you lose enough blood, that's why people, they, they can get shot. And uh, maybe they're not shot in a vital area like the heart or the head. But they can get shot somewhere in the body and they can lose so much blood that mm, you don't have enough blood circulating in your body. Your heart is not able to to keep pumping, and they die because of blood loss. And so blood is very, very important. So today, we have looked at six scientists who believed in God and the Bible. We've also looked at eight specific facts, scientific facts, that the Bible got right before modern science recognized them. I want to end with this today. The following cannot be categorized as science. They cannot. First is evolution. You know, evolution is called the theory of evolution. It's a theory. It is not proven. It is not a fact. Okay? Um, all of the evidence that they use to try to point to evolution is the same evidence that the creationists use <laughs> to point to the fact that there was a designer behind it all. Okay, so... So the evidence is not on their side. It, it's really not. But we have evidence all over the world that there was a worldwide flood. I mean, why do you think they're finding fossils up in the mountains? How did they get up there? You know, we're finding fossils. They have found fossils up in the mountains of creatures that they didn't live in the mountains. What are they doing in the mountains? It was Noah's flood. That's what it was. It was a worldwide flood. That's why they're there. Tons of evidence for creation. So evolution really cannot be categorized as science. Uh, it's never been proven to be true. We have never seen an animal actually evolve. We've never seen a monkey evolve into a person. And again, they just use t time as like a, this magical thing. Oh, well, you just need so much amount of time. You know, oh, well, you know, if we had the time, if we had, if we were able to observe millions and millions of years, then we would see in, in, in a, a monkey change into a man. No, we won't. No, we won't. So they, they, they act like time is just this magical thing. No, 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 no. Now, that, that's not how it works, okay? Time doesn't just make stuff happen like that. So the evolution really is not scientific at all. Also, the Big Bang. The Big Bang is not scientific at all. You know why? Have you ever seen an explosion create something? No, I haven't either. You know what usually happens? When there's an explosion, things break apart. Things fall apart. That's what happens. And yet we have the Big Bang. You're telling me that somehow all of these chemicals or, or atoms or whatever came together and they exploded and just happened to create the universe. The, the chances, and, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, the chances of that actually happening are astronomical. It is, un anyways, so the Big Bang is really not scientific at all. 
It's not because it's not something we can observe. And again, we've never seen an explosion create anything. It just it just doesn't happen. Explosions do not create things. That is not scientific fact. Okay, so the Big Bang is just, well, I guess it's another theory. Also, there is climate change. Now, climate change, my goodness, I could probably do a whole episode on climate change, but um, these people out there today who are saying, oh, we only have 10 years left or nine years left, and then the world, they've been saying that for decades. Go back in time. Go back to the 70s. They were saying that in the 70s. Well, we're not even going to make it to the year 2000. They have been saying that for decades. They they don't know what they're talking about. They just want to scare everybody. And really, climate change is just used by the liberals to try to control us, to try to control people. That's what it is. You know, they're trying to they're trying to get rid of uh, gas uh, gas powered vehicles now. That's the thing. I I think I think uh, California is probably going to be the first one to move to all electric vehicles, and uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. Uh, climate change, th- there really is not any real kind of science behind it. It's just a bunch of uh, bluster that they're talking about. Oh, the, the ice caps are melting. They're not. They're not. Um, so everything they push is actually it's just a hoax. It's just a big old fat hoax, and they just want to use it to control us. There's actually no science behind it. They want you to be driving electric cars. Man, they... they they almost tried to they, they tried to outlaw gas stoves. I mean, it's just ridiculous. These people are crazy, okay? And there is no real science behind it. There, there's really not. Okay, it's not science. The last one I want to mention is something that has um, we, we've been dealing with now for several years. It's very sad, and that's transgenderism. Okay, transgenderism, there is nothing scientific about transgenderism. Nothing. Uh, but biology speaks to the fact that someone is born as a male or female, okay? You're one or the other. And by the way, doctors can figure out which one you are when you're born because males and females have unique parts, okay? And so now we have transgenderism, and it's all based on your feelings, on emotions. Well, I know I'm a ma- I know I'm a man, but today I feel like a woman, so I identify as a woman. No, 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 that's not how it works. Uh, that's not how it works. Now, you you don't get to choose to be a woman just because you feel like a woman. Okay, that is the most ridiculous thing. And by the way, that is unscientific. Okay, that's unscientific. Now the liberals are like, oh. This person was born a man, but but he 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 should have been born a woman, you know. Now, we know as Christians that God makes no mistakes. So if God made somebody a man, a male, uh, he, he whoops, I, I meant to make him a female. No, God does not make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. All right. And once again, the transgenderism. This is being pushed on us today by liberals, and of course, it, there's nothing sciencey about it. It's all based on feelings, on feelings. And by the way, they cannot defend it, it either. They can't. They can't defend it because it's stupid. It's, it's really stupid. They cannot defend it. You cannot transgen- transition from a man to a woman or vice versa. You just can't, okay? You can have surgery. You can mutilate your body. But that does not change that you are a man or a woman, whichever you were born as. It doesn't change that fact. At the core of your being, you are still 
a man or a woman. You're still whoever you were born as. You, you cannot change. You know, men and women are completely different. Completely. And, and um, unfortunately, we live in a world that's trying to blur that line and say, oh, they're, they're basically the same. Are you kidding me? They're completely different. Okay? The only similarity they have is that they're both human. That's about it. In every other area, they're completely different. And so, once again, we see these four categories. Evolution, the Big Bang, climate change, transgenderism. This is what the Bible calls science so-called. It is science so-called. It is not real science. It's not. And by the way, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about these. Okay? Uh, the, well, except for creation. Okay, I, I am wrong. Creation, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. There it is. Okay, so that takes care of evolution and the Big Bang climate change. Uh, the Bible doesn't really talk about that. Hmm. Although the Bible does mention that God's going to destroy the heavens and the earth and make a new heavens and the earth. So there you go. So the whole save the planet. Sorry, can't save the planet. God's going to destroy it one day. Transgenderism, once again, uh, God created them male and female. He created them. Uh, that, that that's that's what the Bible says on that. And and Bible doesn't talk about transgender. The Bible doesn't talk about oh you can change your gender if you want. No, no. All right, this is science so called. Now before we finish today, thank you so much for listening. I just want to mention that we are living in uh, a, a wonderful. This is a wonderful time to live because uh, today there are companies that are devoted to proclaiming the truth of creation and the Bible and the gospel. And I'm talking about ICR, which is the Institute for Creation Research. They're located in Texas. They do wonderful work. And also Answers in Genesis, led by Ken Ham, located in Kentucky. You know, the Creation uh, Museum, the Ark, which is just phenomenal. My goodness, these companies, and they're really ministries. These ministries, they're, they are doing the Lord's work. And both of these ministries, uh, let me encourage you to just support them and, uh, and, and use them. They've put out a ton of materials and books and all kinds of things so that we can be equipped. So that when somebody says, I believe in science, we can, we can be prepared to talk to them and, and speak the truth to them and show them that, yes, there's science in the Bible. And, and, and guess what? Uh, science supports the Bible. You know, uh, science and the Bible, they're not at odds with each other. They support each other. It's very important that we understand that. And so let me encourage you. Uh, I I'm so thankful that we live in a time where we have these ministries that are, are doing this work. And again, both of these ministries, they're, they're both very biblically sound. Uh, they believe the Bible. They love the Lord. Uh, they're proclaiming the truth and they're real science. And, and they are uh, also preaching the gospel. And they point people to Christ, and, and I'm just so thankful for them. So shout out to them. And once again, if, if you would like to know more about anything I mentioned today, you can find all kinds of resources today from both ICR and Answers in Genesis. They do great, great work. Thank you so much for listening. Um, uh, to, be sure to check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com. Be sure to check out the Preaching Podcast. Got some great episodes there that I know will be an encouragement to you. Be sure to check out my YouTube channel. It's just called The Preaching Podcast also. So be sure to check that out, and I've got a bunch of videos on there. And Hey, if you haven't subscribed to that, be sure to subscribe. And uh, on Spotify, you can listen to all the episodes from The Preaching Podcast and uh, also the other episodes of Let's Talk. So be sure to go to Spotify. Be sure to follow that. Don't miss an episode. But thank you so much for listening today. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you.